0: Well, we're in, a, um, we're in a sermon series. We always start our um, sort of school year because uh, that's kind of the real year that most people operate with is, is sort of the school year calendar. And so we start uh, this, this part of the year every year um, by doing um, a sermon series examining our vision and mission as a church. And this year, quite simply, we're calling it Where We're Going and How We Get There where we're going and how we get there, because those are questions that we get asked all the time, and so we want to just take some time to have conversations around these big questions. Where are we going and how are we going to get there? So where we're going is our vision statement, uh, that we want to be a place where people can belong and where people can know God, a place to belong and a place to know God. That's where we want to go. Increasingly, we want to see that reality in our midst, a place to belong and a place to know God, but the question is, well, how do we get there? Because we don't want this to be just like a sort of a pithy Christian saying that you'd put on your bumper sticker or, or on a bumper sticker that you put on your car, right? Um, like we really want that to be the case, the reality here at Christ City Church. So how do we do that? How are we going to get there? And the answer to that is our mission statement, that we're becoming followers of Jesus who recover their lives who reimagine their purpose and who refresh their world. Becoming fathers of Jesus who recover their lives, which Robin unpacked and talked through last week. Becoming fathers of Jesus who reimagine their purpose, and that's what we're gonna talk through this morning. And then fathers of Jesus who refresh their world. So this morning we're talking about this idea of reimagining your purpose. Purpose is this really big but pretty elusive um, idea that for hundreds of years, like humans have been trying to figure out. 400 years ago in the 1600s, some Protestant reformers wrote down in a famous catechism. The very first question is, what is the chief end of man? Or to use our more modern language, what's our purpose? What are we here for 400 years ago? Four years ago, in 2015, um, the famous, I can't believe I'm about to do this, but Justin Bieber, (laughs) (laughs) Justin Bieber wrote in a song uh, called Purpose, he says this, or he sings this, and you bless me with the best, uh, to be honest with you, I've never heard the song, so I don't even know how it goes, but I know the words. You bless me with the best gift that I've ever known. What's the best gift that I've ever known? You give me purpose. Yeah, you've given me purpose. I never thought I'd quote Justin Bieber in a sermon. I don't know if that means that, like, I've arrived or that I'm done. (laughs) You could maybe let me know what you think afterwards. But it's this elusive thing that we're all chasing after. Like millions and millions of pages of philosophy have been written about this. What's our purpose? What are we here for? Um, Best selling self help books have been written about this. In fact, one of them, The Purpose Driven Life, you may be familiar with it, has sold over 34 million copies. So if you want to become a very wealthy author, just figure this out and write a book about it. 34 million copies. Millions of worshipers are gathered around the world trying to lean into this and discover what what are we here for? What's, What's our purpose? My own generation, millennials, have sort of derisively been called sometimes restless wanderers, like we're always moving and wandering from relationship to relationship and job to job and city to city, church to church wandering, trying to figure out what what am I here for? What's my purpose? We're all asking these big fundamental human questions. Does what I'm doing, does who I am really matter? What's, What's even the point of this? What's the purpose? So at Christ City, our mission statement tells you that we want to be a place where you can learn to wrestle well with those big questions, becoming a follower of Jesus who reimagines, imagines imagines afresh your purpose. And that's a weird phrase, right? If we're honest, I'm giving you permission to say it. Reimagine your purpose. It's kind of a weird thing. So like, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? I don't have answers for you this morning. If I did, I'd, you know, have sold 34 million copies of a book and I may not be here, but we'll still have a conversation. Hopefully it's helpful Because I really do think that there's some helpful wisdom in these two passages that we read this morning. And so here's how we're going to contemplate the wisdom in these passages. As I've meditated and studied um, Paul's letter in Ephesians and this parable from Jesus this week, had conversations about these, these passages, I see three streams that are prevalent in these passages and pertinent to this conversation that I wanna point out for you, three streams that initially will seem somewhat random, but hopefully it'll come together and be helpful towards the end, okay? So the first stream that we see in these passages is Paul's challenge and Jesus's challenge to us to grow up into who you really are, grow up into who you really are. Growth is sort of a fundamental part of humanity. Like things are always shifting and moving and growing. We're not static creatures in a static world, but we're dynamic beings in a dynamic world. And this is true for the Bible too. There's this thread and this theme that runs throughout of growth. Inherent in this parable in Mark 4 is the idea of growth, right? Like a mustard seed that's planted in the ground gets nourishment from the soil around it. Roots go out and it grows into something that's refreshing for the birds of the air for creation, growth. And then it's all over the place in this passage in Ephesians 4. It's hard to even hear it without hearing this theme of growth. So let me, let me read some of it again and highlight um, Paul's emphasis here on growth. It'll be on the screen and and be bolted out, so you really can't miss it. So in verse 11, Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? To equip his people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, dynamic, growing, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness, growing up into the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants. So an emphasis, an implied emphasis here on on growing up, not being children, not being infants anymore, but growing up into adults who embody the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then in verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we will grow. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And then in verse 16, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So it's, it's dynamic. There's a lot of growth talked about in this passage. So, so what does that even mean? What does it mean to grow up into the full measure of Jesus, into the maturity of Jesus Great question. Um, Part of it, I think, not the whole thing, but part of it has to do with this. It has to do with discovering who you really are, not the person that you perceive other people need you or want you to be. Discovering who you really are as opposed to the person that you perceive from other people that they need me to be this person, they want me to be this person. I'll say it another way. Who are you really? Who are you? What's going on in your heart versus the things that you take on for yourself because you sense, man, if I do this, then so-and-so will really love me. They'll really like me then. Then I'll really be accepted. We all do this unconsciously and instinctively. We don't even know, we're not even aware, we don't even see when we're doing this, uh, sort of putting on this self for other people. And you'll be glad to know that I don't think it's necessarily even a bad thing. It's certainly not, I don't think, a sinful thing. In fact, it's the way that our culture operates. Like it's the way that you sort of function in our culture. Think about it this way. Maybe when you're passing the piece earlier, you met someone for the first time like Cherie challenged you to do. And if you were engaging in some small talk with a person, you may have had a conversation that went sort of like this. Like, hey, I'm Drew, it's good to meet you. What's sort of the next common question culturally that you'd ask someone or that you'd be asked? what do you do? Right, what do you do? Culturally, it's the norm to be defined by what you do instead of by who you are. You see, it's this outside-in sort of norm in our wider culture around us. That's our culture's bent. What you do defines who you are instead of the other way around. And again, that's not all bad, but An essential aspect of growing up, maturing, no longer being a child or an infant tossed to and fro by all these waves, an essential part of that is learning who you really are. Not letting what you do define you, but maybe stepping into things, doing things because of who you are coming from the inside out. Chip Dodd says it this way, be who you are made to be so that you can do what you're made to do. Be who you're made to be, so that you can do what you're made to do. Who are you really? Who is the beautiful person that God created you to be? I'll share a little bit of my own story, because this has been an important journey for me the past couple of years. Uh, So in a couple weeks, we're getting ready to celebrate Christ City's ninth birthday which is crazy. My wife and I moved here the summer before Christ City was planted. And it was a dream of mine to work for a church like Christ City, this sort of church plant in the heart of a city committed to the city. And so two or three years into the church plant, about six years ago, I got invited to come on board as a staff member, the church's um, second full-time staff hire. And my title at the time was director of operations, director of operations, which I saw some people like, oh, that doesn't sound very fun. I, I thought it was awesome. Um, Jamin reminded me this week that he heard me comment all the time, like, man, this is my dream job. I'm, I'm so glad to be stepping into this and to have a place here. And um, so director of operations, my job was just to, like, sort of make sure that things were happening, okay? Like, worship services started on time. At the time, we had to set up tons of chairs, tons of stuff. So, like, making sure that sort of stuff happened, um, like, just sort of bringing some administrative and organizational gifts that I have to Christ City Church. But what I've become aware of over these past couple years, I've been on this sort of inward journey. And what I've discovered is, is I really do have some of those gifts. But in a lot of ways, I was functioning not out of who I really am from my core, from my inside out. Instead, I was unconsciously, instinctively observing around me, like, man, Again, it wasn't conscious. I wasn't thinking this way, but now I see sort of what was happening beneath the surface. Was was thinking like, man, they really, like they really need some help administratively and organizationally. And maybe I can step in and maybe I can do some of that stuff. And maybe if I can get in here, like then I'll really belong. Maybe then I'll really matter. Maybe then I'll really have worth. Maybe then people will see that I that I really do have value. You see it also, I look back and I'm I see times that um like people at Christ City, staff, leaders would be would be talking about their favorite sorts of like indie music or indie movies. And internally I'm like, I've never heard of this, that you're this thing that you're talking about. But externally, what would I do? Like, I'd pretend, I'd posture, I'd pretend like I knew exactly what the conversation was about. And then I'd even go back and, like, listen to Arcade Fire and realize, like, I don't even really like this. (laughs) And I don't like Justin Bieber either. So, but I'd pretend, like, yeah, I love Arcade Fire. I know all their albums. You know, I'm going to their show at the Orpheum next week, right? Because I want to find a place to belong. I want to matter. I want to have value and purpose, but as I've started to become aware of that, what I've found is, yeah, I do have these gifts and I do have calling, but I also recognize these, these new dreams and desires that are being birthed in my heart, like these new passions. As I like, get to like who I really am and recognize like, hey, God likes me too. And other people like the real me too. And I don't have to pretend or posture. So growing up into who you really are, that's the first stream. The second stream, I think, needs to be paired with this first stream. And the second stream is experience union with Jesus. Experience union with Jesus. The book of Ephesians has always been one of my favorite books in all of the Bible. And so I was restudying this passage. And I was thinking about how I used to read this passage in Ephesians chapter four, very woodenly, like very systematically, like it fits inside this neat box and it makes sense. But then I was reading it this week and I'm like, man, this is like this. There's some odd stuff in this passage. There's some weird stuff happening, strange let me, let me show you. So what I'll do is I'm gonna read a couple verses and then I'm gonna show you the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases these verses in uh, his paraphrase of the Bible called the message. And you're gonna see like sort of listen with, with fresh ears and you can see how weird these passages are. So Ephesians 4 verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Look at how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this. Christ's very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. Christ's very breath and blood flow through us, beautiful and strange, yeah? And then look back a few verses. We didn't read this earlier. In verse four, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And then look at how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness, Everything you think and are and do is permeated with oneness. Do you see the, if I'm honest, the sort of weird mystical elements happening in these passages? Like Jesus's very blood flows through you, nourishing you. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. You know, evangelicals love to talk about Um, A personal relationship with Jesus. You've probably heard that before. Personal relationship with Jesus. And that's good. And I like it. That's fine. But I don't know that it really captures what's going on here in Paul's letter. Because what Paul is talking about, what Paul is describing, what Paul is inviting us to is so much deeper than merely a personal relationship with Jesus. Like it's this mystical experience christ in you and you in christ union with jesus caught up participating in the life of the trinity caught up participating in the divine a divine participation mystically grafted into jesus himself god over all through all in all everything you do is permeated with oneness And this is an aside, but I mentioned how it's important for these two streams to sort of flow somewhat in tandem, and here's why I think that that's true. So discovering who you really are probably means walking through some sorts of phases of what we've started to coin, not just we, Christ City, but more broadly, um, this sort of deconstruction phase, Right? like looking within and examining your story and asking lots of questions. And I think that if we don't have anything to root us and anything to ground us and anything to anchor us, when we enter into those deconstruction seasons then it can be really dangerous. Because the goal of deconstruction isn't like just like a mess, like deconstruction, right? Like Richard Rohr talks about, there's order, then there's disorder, and then after that, there's reorder again. Like the goal of is reconstruction, a more healthy, a grown-up, fully mature in Jesus person, human, the person that you were created to be. But if there's no anger, if there's nothing to root you, if you're just walking through alone and in isolation, then the potential end is just like this sort of cynical nihilism, like nothing matters What's the point even in any of this? And I don't want that for any of you. Like, I don't want you in that place. So these sorts of practices, experiencing union with Jesus, gives us some sort of anchor, something to root us as we walk into those dark and scary places so that there's a foundation upon which reorder or reconstruction can happen and we can grow up into the fully mature, healthy person that Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 4. This is one reason I'm, I'm so excited about this retreat coming up that Cherie told you about, the infos in our bulletin, because we're going to talk about some of these practices. Felina started talking about a few weeks ago at Rabbit Hole. Um, some of these practices that we can... Engage in our lives to give us anchors and things to grab hold of as we discover who we really are in Jesus. So I hope that you'll consider coming to that. Um, if, uh, another sort of shameless plug. If, if the money's a problem, like 75 bucks, um, there are scholarships available, so feel free to shoot me an email and I'd love uh, to make a way for you to be there. Uh, so like I said, I sort of walked through this season of uncovering my, my false or my fabricated self and learning like who I really am, and letting me be me from the inside out. Be who you're made to be so you can do what you're made to do. And this isn't something that I was intentional about, but God was really gracious to me as I look back over the past few years. I see how paired with that was this increasing awareness and love for these old, ancient, rich Christian practices, like some of the ones we're gonna talk about at this upcoming retreat. Um, like y'all know, if, if we've spent time together, if you've been around Christ City for a minute, y'all know that like, I, just, I have this increasingly deep love for liturgy. And liturgy has introduced me to, like it's not just that I love old, beautiful words, but I do, Like it's not just that. <laughs> It's, a, it's introduced me to these practices, like one is called praying in the hours, like this, just these little short liturgical prayers throughout the day so that I can experience union, like deeper than just a personal relationship with Jesus, but experiencing union with Jesus. And then another, another thing that's happened to me the past couple years, which sounds weird and super nerdy, is this like elevated view of like my, Eu- my Eucharistic theology. Come on, if y'all want to have coffee and talk about that, <laughs> man. Nothing, uh, yeah. Um, all that means is like a really high view of what happens at communion. Like this weird mystical stuff that Paul's talking about, like Christ in us, his very blood flowing through us and nourishing us. Like coming to see and experience union with Jesus at the table week after week. Like Christ in me and me in Jesus, union with Christ. So experiencing union with with Christ, And then this stream paves way for the third stream in these passages. And this last stream is, be alert to the kingdom in your midst. Be alert to the kingdom in your midst. So the whole point of this parable about the mustard seed and the whole point of tons of Jesus' parables is the kingdom... Is here. That's like one of the things that Jesus talks about more than any other thing. Like the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God is here on earth as it is in heaven. But like, there's this weird dichotomy because that's one thing that we as modern followers of Jesus talk about the least and understand the least. Like there's so many things we talk about before talking about the kingdom. But this is something that Jesus talks about all the time. So be alert to the kingdom in your midst. What does that even mean? Well, Jesus talks about it all the time, and we don't have time to unpack all of it, so just just a snapshot. The kingdom essentially is God's good rule and reign. God's good rule and reign. Think about... um, the story in the very beginning of our Bible. So God creates the world, and then we see this story about a garden called the Garden of Eden, right? You may be familiar with the story. If you grew up with, what is it called? Like the, um, the little like flannel, was it? Flannel board, yes. Um, like if you grew up with that and you posted things up on the flannel board like I did at Sunday school in small town Mississippi. Anyway, maybe that was just me, was it? Yeah, me, Annalise too. Um, so if you're familiar with the story of the Garden of Eden, it's, just, it's actually a beautiful story, like a beautiful picture of God's kingdom because we see God's good rule and reign, like creation itself lovingly surrendering to God's good rule and reign and people lovingly surrendering to God's good rule and reign and everything sort of working as it should, Like, do you ever have those moments in life when you just like take a deep breath? I think these moments are fleeting and few and far between. But you take a deep breath and you look and you're just like, this feels right. This feels good. Like that's like the Garden of Eden. Like things, like just, they were right and they felt good. God's good rule and reign. But as you know, the story of humanity is all of us like wanting our own rule and reign Right? Which isn't always in line with God's good rule and reign. So, like, there's this opposition happening. But Jesus comes on the scene and he's like, hey, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is in your midst. It's not far away. Don't miss it. And then Jesus on the cross wins the victory over any opposing kingdom. And then in his resurrection, like, we see this new kingdom breaking forth in the world where death no longer has the last say, but where there's life. And goodness and abundance. And the good news is, this, and this is being alert to the kingdom in your midst, is that that's not just a future reality, that's a now reality, like eternal life now. Not eternal life one day in this ethereal future, but eternal life now. Jesus' very blood nourishing you and flowing through you. Eternal life now. The kingdom of God is here. Be alert to the kingdom in your midst. This is why, as a church, we, we talk about these eight practices we have. And the very first one is learning, practicing. None of us are good at it. That's why we got to practice. Practicing choosing presence. Choose presence. I'm like my time orientation is geared towards the future. Like, it's hard for me to be present right here, right now, because it's easier for me to be, like, living in things that might happen and dreams and living in the future. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of practice. It's not my natural bent to be present in this moment. Because being present in this moment isn't always super comfortable, right? Like, just this morning, I, like... My son Graham is sick, and so he woke up, and I'm like, I'm preaching this morning. Like, I gotta, like, get in kind of a good space. And so I'm like, hey, you can sit here on the couch and watch TV. I'll get you some breakfast, and I'm gonna go outside. And so I'm outside and just have just three minutes of silence. So I'm just trying to be present where I am in this moment, being quiet, not trying not to let my mind wander. And what happens is, is like, I start to feel all these emotions, Right? And they're not always very pleasant. Like this morning, like there were a lot of unpleasant, emotion, like hurt and loneliness that I was feeling. And it's easier for me just, oh, hey, you know what? What's this week look like? Like it's easier for me to go there. But if I'm always in the future, I can't be alert to what God is doing now in my midst. So what does it look like for you to lean into choosing presence so that you can be alert to the kingdom in your midst? So those are our three streams Put them on the screen so we can see them again. Grow up into who you really are. Experience union with Jesus. And then be alert to the kingdom in your midst. Seems sort of like random things. They're all present here in these passages. Seems sort of random. But I think that it's at the place where these three streams come together that you can begin to reimagine your purpose. There's a picture of these three streams flowing into this pool. And it's in that pool where you can begin to experience reimagining your purpose. Because as these three streams come together in your life, a few things happen. First, you experience clarity of vision. Do you ever feel like um, things are just kind of foggy around you? You're like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I don't, like things are just sort of foggy or maybe even dark. Like, you just feel like you're kind of stumbling along in darkness. When these three streams begin to come together, you may not have perfectly clear vision, but it is clear, like, here's the next step that I can take. You know, like, I imagine a dark room, and it's 2019, so if you walk into a dark room and you can't see and you're going to stub your toe, what do you do? You pull your phone out of your pocket. We all have a flashlight in our pocket. How crazy is that? And boom, a little bit of light lightens the room. So you experience clarity of vision. Because when these streams are coming together, you have a deep, core sense of who you are. And you're also walking closely with Jesus, surrendered to his lordship, observing the kingdom in your midst. What's the Holy Spirit doing, and where is the Holy Spirit leading? Clarity of vision. You also experience with these streams coming together, surrender to Jesus. Our natural bent is to grasp for power and control. Not to surrender. But when you have a core sense of who you are, like I'm okay, I'm secure in me. And when you're experiencing union with Jesus and like the goodness of God, like you're alert to that and his kingdom working in your midst, then you can surrender to Jesus knowing that he's for you and he loves you and it's gonna be okay. And then thirdly, you experience courage to risk. Courage to risk. Many of us are stagnant because we're plagued with anxiety and fear. Like, I, man, I can't even dream about that because what about, like, what about money? What about money? Or what about my kids or my family? What about the security of my career? Or like, what, like even what will people think of me if I do that? But if you know who you are and you're surrendered to Jesus, experiencing union with him, alert to the kingdom in your midst, then you know that it's okay. Like it's just okay. You're going to be okay. And you can lean into that and you can take steps and you can experience courage to risk. Even in the midst of the anxiety and fear, you know, like, hey, Jesus is with me and it's okay to be afraid with Jesus. A mentor of mine asks the question often, I think it's so powerful. He asks, what if you knew that you were radically safe and secure in the kingdom of God? What would you do? What would your life look like? If you had a real sense of being with Jesus in the midst of the kingdom of God, what if you knew that you were radically secure and safe in the kingdom of God? as I think about all these things, clarity of vision, surrender to Jesus, courage to risk, the word that comes to mind for me is faith. I think this is a lot what faith looks like. Unfortunately, we often think of faith as just this sort of like mental ascent, like something that happens up here intellectually. And things do happen intellectually, like that's a part of it, but I don't think that's the whole of it. I think it also includes like, following after Jesus, like discerning vision and surrendering to Jesus and taking steps and taking risks. That's faith. That's faith. And faith is where reimagining your purpose can happen. So that's my hope for us. Um, That's my prayer for us as a church, that you can know that you belong here. This can be a place where you can belong And so it can be a safe place for you to start to discover who you are because you're loved. You're loved here. Not because of just the person you sort of put on to please other people, but because of you. And that as we lean into that and experience union with Jesus weekly, as we come to the table and and literally ingest Jesus into our very body, as we discern together what God's doing in his kingdom. And my prayer is that we all together could reimagine our purpose. And then, spoiler alert, (laughs) refresh our world. Like this parable of the mustard seed, The, the mustard seed grows up into this beautiful, large plant that provides shade and refreshment for creation. So may we be that sort of people, reimagining our purpose together. Let's pray. Lord, that is my prayer, that we could together reimagine our purpose. So would you bless our church? Would you bless Christ City Church with that? And as we come to the table now, my prayer is that we would tangibly experience union with Jesus. This just wouldn't be a rote sort of formal thing, but there would be some depth and some significance to it. And we would encounter the living, resurrected King Jesus. Amen.